All right. Well, hello, everybody. This is Kurt Cabana, and welcome to this week's episode of Pursuit for Purpose. If you can believe it, we've made it to episode 20. Thank you to everybody who continues to support the growth of themselves and the community that is being built through your active participation. There's so much gratitude I wish to express to everyone for their time and interest in what we're doing here together. Every message, review, email, like, retweet, and comment, so truly appreciated. Thank you to everybody that's listening here live today, and those of you that are listening to this on the recording. This week, we're going to be discussing building trust through communication. For those that do not know, Pursuit for Purpose brings the world's most passionate athletes and coaches together in this community environment, just like this, to encourage our goals and aspirations. By helping provide the teachings and principles of the greatest minds before us, the people around us will receive the foundations to build the rest of their lives and become champions of character. This week, we're joined by, by Joe Ferraro. Joe is currently in his 23rd year as an educator, teaching English 12, public speaking, and creative writing. In addition to his work in the classroom, he's the founder of damngoodconversations.com, a company whose mission is to teach you repeatable ways to have the best conversations in your life and work. His flagship service is the weekly personal growth podcast, 1% Better. Every Sunday, Joe releases conversations with fascinating people like Seth Godin, Daniel Pink, James Clear, and Debbie Millman, designed to help people leverage small changes in mindset, language, and behavior in order to get life-changing results. Please welcome me in joining Joe Ferrara. Joe, thanks so much for being here. Wow, Kurt. You know, you don't you don't know what that bio sounds like on the other end until you get on the back end of it, man. That's super generous, <laughs> super generous, um, beautifully, and, and I should expect nothing less from you, man. First class all the way through. Thanks for having me. Uh, no, it's my absolute pleasure. And uh, again, you know, you're you're a person that I've been wanting to reach out to for for quite some time. And uh, I can tell you with, um, you know, a little bit of humility, I, I still get real scared on this end of, of wanting to reach out to people that I respect a lot and see what they're doing. And uh, I've, I've taken a tremendous amount of growth from the 1% podcast and uh, as well as just love what you're doing with Damn Good Conversation. So I really do appreciate you making yourself available today and uh, being able to speak into the hearts and minds of uh, anybody that's willing to listen here uh, through this platform. I'll tell you what, if it, if it, encourages anybody i will say that uh, i won't say scared but i will say the adrenaline is pumping even here on a twitter space um where no one can see whether i'm having a good hair day or a bad hair day so i think it's totally normal uh to have that kind of vulnerability and that and anytime there's passion involved i feel like there's something on the line it's that heightened form i feel it man so i appreciate that and appreciate you sharing that uh, I that that's awesome, and I and I appreciate you sharing sharing that with me. That I'm not too crazy, but uh, Joe, you know, I'm excited to get the chance to dive into how we can build trust through communication. But before we get into that, please tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you've gotten to this point of having damn good conversations and getting one percent better every day. Well, there's a lot of ways to attack that that question, but I think a beautiful place to start is right here on Twitter. I think that. Uh, once upon a time, and I wish I could give credit to the, to the right person, someone put out that, you know, one of those zany polls where it said, what is the goal of your podcast in three words? And Kurt, I think through a lot of things, man. I, I sometimes decide what to wear. Uh, my wife and I are trying to book a vacation. I had to put a poll out on Instagram to kind of get a feel for it. But for whatever reason on that day, without hesitation, when they said, what was the goal of your podcast? in three words, I just typed damn good conversations and basically ran away from the Twitter space before I changed my mind. And I kid you not, I went downstairs and bought the domain. Uh, and and as hopefully it does not get exposed tonight. Marketing is not my strength. Uh, sales is not my strength. I hope communication, I hope honesty, I hope uh, trust are, are some of my strengths. But I did not back away from it. I didn't ask three people and phone a friend if I should buy the domain. I just bought it and I said, it sounds good. And now sometimes when a group will approach me to speak or, you know, someone is, is really kind and say, will you come on the show? I kind of go, well, listen, the, the, the harshest cuss word I say is damn. So let's start there. Let's make sure you understand, you know, that's where I go. But it was really that adjective of saying, hey, there's a difference between a conversation and a damn good conversation. And even though that doesn't give you my entire background, 
I'm happy to go into it. I feel like that gives you a great starting line, a place where you kind of meet me where I am today, and I'm, I'm happy to add color wherever you want. Absolutely, and, and I'm sure we're going to have plenty of time through our conversation here for you to add some continued color, but I just wanted to comment on the, uh, the rush and the feel of when you get that spark that there's that need to move. Uh, and I could say something similar happened to me with my process of going through all of this. Um, it was it was just that rush. It was that spark that made me say, uh, I got to move. This one said, get out of the way. And, uh, and, and I just made sure to bring it to life because we have so many thoughts uh, about what we can do for ourselves, for others, and, and just for anything in particular. But we also have so many thoughts at the same time that convince us not to do what we're trying to do. And uh, too many times we listen to those thoughts. And this was one that I'm really proud for myself that uh, I decided to listen to and, and see this thing come to life because uh, as much as I've gotten a chance to grow anything that's going on, who I'm getting to become in the process of growing this whole thing is the real reward that I'm taking out of this. Yeah, I can relate to that, right? 23 years in the classroom and, and you're still learning. You know, I'm, I find myself learning from students today. I mentioned on a recent episode that I've sought out a reverse mentor who's a second year teacher in her 20s, learning what fresh eyes she could provide. And I see a lot of those fingerprints in your work, man. I, I don't know where you grabbed me first. Was it was it the awesome name? Like that's just straight out of the movies, Kirk Cabana. Was it, you know, student of life, like my philosophy of just trying to learn from anybody, anytime? Was it father or was it disco turkeys? You know, I don't know if we'll have time today, but like one of the most underrated foods going, it, you know, and this may be counter brand of the disco turkeys, but I love turkey. And uh, I laughed very hard when I saw that name that you're involved. So there is a lot of alignment on this call. And, uh, Thanks for everyone to, to take some time out of their day to be here. Oh, that's beautiful. I, I, I appreciate that. And it, uh, uh, that brings a smile to my face. That's going to change some uh, a tonation of my voice for sure, because I can't wipe it off right now. But I want to get into, get right into some questions for you and, and start you off with one that, uh, that might be a little close to the best for you. How is building trust different on the ball field, the classroom, and through a podcast? You know, it's interesting that you frame it with differences. Um, there definitely are some differences. I've asked student athletes over the years to identify some of those differences and sometimes they'll point to maybe a little bit more intensity or maybe a little bit more movement. Um, but I will say it's, it's notable to, to highlight the things where it is similar, right? I mean, one of the things I do in my public speaking class is I try to tell the students where goal, one of our goals, is to, if you look at your left hand and you say, this is who I think I am. This is who I wanna be as I walk through life. My left hand is in the air. I say, this is who I, I really see myself as. And then the right hand comes up and you say, this is how the world sees me. And what I try to get my public speaking students to do is to align those two worlds, right? To take the left hand and move it towards the right hand and say, hey, if we can get these almost in prayer hands where we're like now aligned, where we say, hey, this is what I think I am. This is how the world sees me show up. I think there's a, a tremendous amount of value. So I've spent the better part of two decades searching and prodding and experimenting to try to find the places where there's that beautiful Venn diagram overlap, where it's like, if you see Ferraro on the baseball field, you know, he may be a little bit dirtier of the shoe. He may be a little bit more vocal with an official, but at the end of the day, he's got the smile same vocal intonation that you mentioned, right? You can hear when someone starts smiling, you can hear their voice change. The energy is there, right? The Ralph Waldo Emerson, nothing great has ever happened without enthusiasm comes into play. And uh, I think the alignment piece is there. The podcast is an interesting kind of side piece because what I found when I moved to Brookfield, Connecticut and my commute was going to be a little longer than a lot of my colleagues because my wife and I, quite honestly, we're not that handy. We have some skills, but we can't really paint well just yet and we don't do a lot of uh, reconstruction on the house we, we couldn't buy a fixer-upper the only thing that's made the commute bearable her is listening to 1.4 podcasts a day i mean i'm listening to a full podcast on the way down and maybe get started on another one get halfway through a, a second one on the way home um, and just kind of love that process and then eventually started my own podcast where i could then really quickly put the lessons into my classroom for my students. 
So I guess if I'm imagining um, something visual, there's a lot of zigzagging, right? I don't, I'm not looking at columns, I'm looking at overlaps, I'm looking at zigzags, I'm looking at pockets of who I am showing up in each, if that makes sense. It definitely does. And you, you really intrigued me with your uh, analogy of, you know, raising both hands. And, and I don't know if this is a part of it. It might have only been myself, but I mean, my hand instantly went up with the, with the left hand. And then, as you said, the right hand, the right hand went up too. And it almost instinctively and, and just naturally, and it might just be my own, uh, you know, muscle groups, but the right hand went higher than the left. And in some sense of wondering, do we put that weight on ourselves of what the world sees of us being more important than what we think of ourselves? So I thought that was that was really interesting, but also do love the power of, of bringing those closer together and blending those two worlds itself. And also wanted to comment on uh, loving the aspect of the commute because we, we have the opportunity with commuting every day to uh, turn our car into automobile university. And uh, I love that aspect of getting to get an additional education just while we're in our car and our commute and uh, taking some intentional time for ourselves. I can't agree with you more. Um, in fact, you see those statistics that say um, workplace and general unhappiness is highest with people who commute. And that makes sense to me. I, I can't lie. That does make sense to me. People that commute a long distance generally have some, you know, some bad posture I, I can plead guilty to that at times right not sitting properly all those things grumpiness traffic the whole nine yards but the great equalizer is that automobile university you talked about and i think for people that are here tonight there's uncommonness amongst us right we we want to learn on a on a thursday night when we could be doing other things and i think when you when you make choices like that um it doesn't make us better than someone else it just makes a different path and, and that's worked for me that's awesome. And, and I do find that powerful as well, too. And, and that's what I've you know genuinely loved almost about the Twitter spaces platform, molding it in within the universe of podcasts, because it's for those that are here right now that something tells them, hey, I want some information, but also, hey, it's available for those that need to catch it on the recording because life, uh, it presents it itself. And if you have the opportunity to have some fun today here on St. Patrick's Day, then then why, why wouldn't you for yourself, but especially it's still being available. So again, I do appreciate everybody that's here in the space with us uh, tonight. And uh, to get to that, you know, next little basic question for you, Joe, what does it mean for you to effectively communicate with another human being? Connection, right? I think communication as a tool to connect uh, deeper, to have the, the best relationships of our lives. You know, sometimes I, I fall in love. I'm guilty of, of communicating, right? For communication's sake, for practicing the art. I think uh, today I had some thoughts where I was like, you know, just, there's still a lot of people out there that are on this journey struggling to communicate well, whether it's an email that maybe takes two or three responses when it could have taken one, um, whether it's... Um, just a, a marketing message. Um, I like communication for communication's sake, but when, when you ask me about what does it mean to communicate, it's I'm where my feet are. Um, my, my thoughts, my heart, my mind are here with you and the audience. And I think you bring up a great point about people who can't be here tonight, but are gonna find this 15 months from now. And the goal is to have an evergreen conversation because we connected. And I, and I think that extends beyond the space, right? If someone wants to message me afterwards, 100% open. If someone wants to email me, if anything I said, you want to challenge it or, or ask about all of that around orbiting around the idea of connection is just a really, really attractive idea to me. Intriguing that you really you brought up that aspect of just a specific time frame, 15 months from now, um, because I, I got to say in, in process of listening to different podcasts, I, unintentionally, I've never looked at it that way, where I'm listening to something that somebody had put out, oh, well over a year ago, you know, uh, two years ago, three years ago, however long they've been on their journey, yet it found me at that time. And it made the impact that it was supposed to make. So I think that's really powerful. Thank you. I mean, I, I appreciate that. And I, I will say one of my least favorite things about podcasting is this artificial uh, construct that has emerged that it's a one-week journey. I mean, I had uh, the pleasure of having author Mitch Album on the show. It was almost two weeks ago that his episode came out. You work your whole life to study someone's work, 
you get presented with Tuesdays with Maury in 1999. You fall in love with the book as you're beginning your teaching journey. You uh, land Mitch through a series of amazing events and you put the episode out and it's gone. But people, including some of the people in this room, have been kind to remind me over the years that you just don't know where and when an episode finds somebody. I've often said, you know, I don't know if anyone's listening to my solo episodes where I try to work out lessons to help people and try to become a better communicator. And some of those very people say, well, no, no, these are the ones where we, we hear your raw vulnerability and you have no idea, even if you're not getting a retweet or you're not getting a million people to do X, Y, and Z, where these things find people. You know, the old expression, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Same thing with podcast content like this. You know, it, it, someone will find this tonight. It'll be 15 months from now. I don't know. I'm not smart enough at math to do the math live, but it, it, it'll find the right people. And, and it was you, Kirk, that brought that up today that really got me thinking about it. I appreciate that. And uh, I, I know we haven't even started diving into too much of the other stuff, but I'm just enjoying enjoying this communication, enjoying this process of just connecting with another person about life and processes and development and growth and the different timelines that we're all on. And, you know, when we talk about trust and when you talk about trusting someone, how do you feel about them and, and what are you willing to do for them when you trust them? What am I willing to do when I trust someone is, is uh, completely interlocked with, with communication, right? You, you mentioned it, you titled it well. Um, when I think of trust, um, it's not, you know, some people say that's the, the golden bullet. That's the whole thing. That's where it all revolves around. But I don't think it can be separated from communication. I don't think it can be separated from connection. Again, what has emerged here early on in our conversation is some patterns of, of interlocking and to crossover. Um, one of the things I found interesting today in preparing for our talk is we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like, you know, I went to Stephen M. R. Covey and found out what, how he defined trust, right? The speed of trust being his, one of his biggest books. And he talked in that very book about being candid and telling the truth. And when I see your work and a lot of the work of people here tonight, that's all, all over it, the fingerprints, right? Like confront the brutal facts is how Jim Collins says it. Be totally candid and, and be aware of what's happening is how Covey says it. You said student of life, right? So it's kind of like, that's, that's what I did. I didn't have to try to think of some fancy definition I made of myself. Um, I love the idea of, of kind of pulling from different places. And um, I think you set it off right when you said, what would you do for them and with them? You know, that's, that's part of the journey without being too woo-woo. I mean, that's, that's what we're here for. I, I think that's too powerful to talk about just trust what, and what it, what it gets from us, but knowing that at a baseline, there was some form of communication that was understood between the two parties. And in, and a lot of times when we're talking about even potentially being on a team, multiple parties, and it can get that much, much tougher to bring trust together within a group uh, in your experiences as a, as a teacher and as a coach, how, how do you get that trust between multiple parties? Slowly deliberately and day after day, right? Slowly, deliberately and consistency. I mean, I had a moment today in the classroom, given it a, a glimpse into a place I consider very special. Um, in my classroom today, we finished up a, a unit that we were, we were reading a book and kind of did it in a unique way where everybody presented one of the stories of 22 stories and group projects. So each, each group has uh, been assigned a, a chapter or a story, if you will. And this is a, a class that hasn't had the best chemistry, hasn't had um, always the best flow. And today's activity was pretty, pretty basic when you get down to it. it I put one word on the board that said reflect. And I, I said, today, we're going to focus on this one word. And again, this is an activity that in the, the most synchronous classes, the most together classes would, would work a little seamless. But in this class, you never know. And um, the next slide said, um, take a few minutes to think. You don't have to write anything. Think about the way that this unit has changed you in small or large ways in the following categories. Without going too far into it, the next slide said, now journal for five minutes about any change, anything you learned within yourself. Um, what did you learn about the book? What did you learn about group dynamics? What did you learn about yourself? How you learned best? And uh, I just simply sat on a stool 
ask for any volunteers after five or six minutes. One person volunteered, and it, it almost sounds like I'm making this up. Our quietest girl, English as a second language, goes first, brings up incredible points, including, I'm laughing as I think about this, including, you know, this was a group project, but it was really an individual project. And I'm saying, oh my goodness, this is wise. This is wise beyond your years. You know, we each had to do our part because if you don't do your part, the group fails. And that allowed me to work in this analogy that a student had told me the previous day about how volleyball is actually the, the, the most unique example of a team sport and an individual sport because you lose the point immediately if you don't pick up the ball. So in baseball, a lot of baseball fans and softball fans here, an error is probably going to cost you, but not always. In volleyball, if the ball is coming to you and you don't bump set or spike, the point goes on the scoreboard. Kirk, this is one girl in the class of 25 students that shared insights, small and large like this. And I sat back afterwards and I talked to my co-teacher and I said, I'm not sure what's happened here in the last three or four weeks, but we used to have verbal altercations in this class. And today on St. Patrick's Day, when it's very possible that people could be quite literally dancing instead of student, you know, student behavior, these young men and women are sharing something of themselves. And I can't pretend to take uh, immense credit. I can't not take any credit, but I certainly um, am just kind of a vessel to, to watch what I would call like kind of a laboratory of trust, communication, you know, and, and, and even purpose, right? Like how that worked and how that became to be. Um, I hope it was worth kind of the long journey to get to that story because I think that that's something that that I witnessed today and I wanted to share that with you. It really is worth it. And it made me think a lot by the way that you described it is we, as much as we much love each team, each class that we get to be a part of, some naturally are better than others. Yet we still have to give all of ourselves to them to help them be the best of themselves. So it, you know, cause not every team's a championship caliber team, but that doesn't mean that you're not gonna treat them like championship caliber people. And so I think that is very intriguing for you to, to see that growth within that class space over the past couple of weeks that can, can actually see that dynamic growth. And you even mentioned purpose, Joe. And uh, I wanted to ask, you know, what is your purpose? My purpose is to make an impact. Um, uh, it's funny because uh, it's a word that means a lot to me, um, but I'm on a, a high school thread. I have some really dear high school friends who we recently went out and celebrated an accomplishment. And, you know, rightly so, they made fun of me, right, for all the sincerity that I try to bring. And, you know, I once asked somebody, you know, like, well, my friends don't listen to my podcast. They're like, yeah, they're not supposed to. They're like your lifelong friends. They're supposed to make fun of you in a good natured way. And, you know, we could debate that back and forth. but. Um, to this day on the high school thread, they will say hashtag impact, which is a, a tongue in cheek way of saying like, Joe, you're, you're, you're one in a million, like you still after 23 years, and I don't know, I don't think I'm one in a million this way, but I think you can relate to the teacher after 23 years, I'm still trying to figure it out. I, I mean, I'm not in any way close to coast mode, right? I'm, I'm there going, how can I impact one student today? And, and honestly, yeah, I'll be honest with you. I don't think one's enough, right? You always hear that, like, if I could impact one student today, it would be worth it. But Kirk, I have, I have 100 students a day. So, like, I'm not really good with 1% a day as much as that's on brand for the podcast. Like, I, I need to impact more than one person. Um, you know, maybe in, in, in our live space, if one person walks away, slightly change. That'd be great from a ratio standpoint. And maybe that 15-month horizon, someone finds this. But I think um, I'm searching for ways to provide value to people and impact their lives positively. It, it, you saying that makes me laugh because I, I absolutely, you know, especially at this stage in early growth, live on that moniker of if I can make a, a impact on the smallest of impacts, even on one person's life, then it feels like it's all worth it. But I think a lot of that comes from a defense mechanism. It comes from an aspect of really thinking that uh, while I'm putting myself out there, I hope that at least it was worth it to one person. But I, I know exactly where you're coming from, where you put in the work. You're in your 23rd year. You've put yourself in a, in a place where if you're not 
from a personal standpoint, making more than an impact on one person at this stage within a hundred people, then you're probably questioning why am I doing what I'm doing or am I doing it in the right manner? So I think that makes a lot of sense as you continue going down the road of getting better and better. And I can tell you from what you were saying, uh, I don't sense any lack of freshness from your modality of what you're bringing to these people. So I think that you're still definitely have the best ahead of you of how you're going to continue to positively impact people. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I had a public speaking class today where I played a video that a 2014 grad had produced. And just that little act of playing that and thinking back, and I'll make up his name and say that Brad, you know, made this video and then being able to think back to Brad and pass it along and the way that Amanda had commented. It's, it's one of the advantages of coaching, teaching, and, and, and being with a community like people here tonight. You, you do have long-lasting legacy if things go well. I wanted to ask uh, kind of the flagship question of the conversation. How can trust be built through effective communication? Well, I will go back to, to what Covey and Collins and others said about the honesty piece, right? You know, it's that, you know, finding the way. So I think maybe a good way to think about it is like that blend of communication and honesty. So I'm a straight shooter. I just say what's on my mind. I have no filter are not, in my opinion, effective tools of communication if one of the goals is to build community, trust, and, and make everybody feel seen. See, I don't see an adaptability in that, right? I don't see, and I think all of us in here have played for the old school coach, and I have the utmost respect for the traditional values and the, the work that he or she has put in to earn that moniker of old school. But I can't subscribe in 2022 to my way or the highway. I'm a straight shooter, so I'm gonna tell you your hat is ugly. I just, I just don't see that overlapping with, with trust. So I think there's a degree of skill that needs to be, or at least craft, that needs to be in there, Kirk, right? It's like, I'm trying to build trust, so I'm going to be honest, but that next layer is so often skipped, which is like, I'm gonna treat people how they wanna be treated, and I'm going to try to put myself in their shoes. And I'm going to use kind of the, the layering in of empathy to say, hey, I see how Kobe might want to be treated. I see how Robbie prefers to learn. You know, a big, a big um, kind of verbiage I see in, in, in my cohort that I'm fortunate enough to lead right now is people asking, how do you prefer to receive feedback? If you gave me 30 seconds and a pen, I could list 10 people who would hate that, right? They wouldn't, they would say it's too much time. Just say it. Don't worry about other people's feelings. I got to say, I don't agree with that. I, I do worry about other people's feelings. I do want to build trust and I want to do it with honesty all, of, all along while being a communicator who takes pride in the way that the art of communication is dispensed. I think it's very interesting bringing up empathy in this situation, especially in from a coaching standpoint of trying to see ourselves and see these kids being as good as we believe that they can be, but also at times not recognizing how hard the game is and how hard the game is to learn and how different kids have different modalities of learning, be it audio, visual, or, you know, reading anything of that, that nature that might be for them. Are you aware at all of the, the curse of knowledge? Well, I'm not aware of it because I have too much of it. I can tell you that, but uh, I'm aware of how it can affect you. Yes. It was interesting learning about that in, in this week's uh, studies for my master's program. And that, that kind of just blew me away because it, it, it really made a lot of sense from the curse of knowledge aspect of where once we've learned something, we can almost not see it in the aspect of being able to see it any other way. It's just so ingrained that how can you not see it when we already know this thing? And it used the example of a, the tappers and, and listeners of having people have to uh, tap a song and the listener 
having to guess that song that they're tapping, but the tapper knows the song and they're wondering, how can you not pick up on what I'm doing? But yet the listeners never heard it, has no idea. They just hear it as a bunch of noises and sounds trying to come together. So I, I see that as a very interesting aspect with communication and building trust that if we're not clear in the understanding of where a person's coming from, how are they going to ever get that that information? And then how are they going to trust us when we can't clearly and and basically come to them on their level as a person? Yeah, you bring up a really interesting stake in the ground place, right? That curse of knowledge in some ways, and, and it sounds like you're in a great program because for that to be discussed is, a, is essentially an investment in time and energy to say, this is one of the fundamental problems we have as teachers. You know, Derek Sivers might call it um, obvious to you, amazing to someone else. And uh, other people might look at it in, in ways where like, how can you not get this? I'm looking at, I'm thinking of one of my students brought up Goodwill Hunting today uh, without giving any spoilers because I'm very, very anti-spoiler. There's a scene in that movie where Will, the genius, is um, getting a math problem so quickly and the Fields Medal winner who is a Nobel Prize but for math and only awarded every four years. So more impressive than the Nobel. He can't do the problem and the janitor, Will, can do it. And he goes, do you know how easy this is for me? Do you know how easy it is for me to do this and how hard it is for me to watch you fumble around? And he uses a few other words that we can't say here, but that's the curse of knowledge, right? You just sparked in me. Like if, if someone was to explain the curse of knowledge, it's, it's Will Hunting berating a Fields Medal winner and saying, um, I, this is just easy for me. And that's the anti, actually it's one of Will's only dark moments in the film, but I think I love, and look, I think what we just illustrated in a, in a really meta way, Kurt, is when a great question is asked to a curious person, we can go in 300 different directions. Like no one here tonight had like Joe quotes, Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting on their bingo board, but that's what a beautiful question does, right? We we're open to where it goes. And um, you kind of brought me joy to go down that road. That's awesome. I, I appreciate it. And uh, uh, again, you know, your your own discussion, though, is what elicited from me and made me, you know, spark back to what some things that are that are studying. And and yes, I do also agree. I'm, I'm very, very grateful for the, the program that I'm studying in. And uh, again, you know, one of those things of where it, it found me uh, it, more than I found it and super duper happy to continue to be going down that road. But uh, I wanted to get into uh, asking you, as a former college and high school baseball head coach, you've had a lot of relationships with the youth where you're the trusted adult. How do we get trust back from ourselves when we let others down through poor communication? Are we allowed sound effects on Twitter spaces? That is. Oh, oh absolutely. That's a doozy. How do we get I'm going to ask you to come back on, on that one because you're asking now about how do we get trust back in ourselves? Are you asking about a time where maybe we weren't at our very best and we're thinking about like, I've let someone down. Can you open that up for me a little bit? Yeah. I mean, just, just right on that road, you know, you can give, give us a story or it, and especially if you've got some personal experience in that area, how do we get trust back from, from us, from the people that we're trying to get trust from the others when we know, and it might be only us that knows that we let them down because of our poor communication. I think this is a beautiful moment for people who are listening um, to, to jot a note for themselves and, and help me out with this later if they have nuance. And this will be a great time when this is recorded, I'll be able to go back and, and take this as a moment of reflection. But the very first thing that comes to my mind is uh, an honest, swift, clear, non-hedged apology. <laughs> okay. I mean, at the, 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 the grandest level, there's been studies that the number one way that a doctor avoids a lawsuit is not by making it right, but by apologizing sincerely. Um, and, and while avoiding a lawsuit is far from the ultimate goal, if you go into the classroom waters, you talk about an apology. I mean, the other day, I'll, I'll tell you a time I wasn't at my very best, a, a student was texting um, at his or her lap and we were supposed to be doing some silent work and uh, in front of everyone in a, in a 12th grade classroom, I yelled out, would you stop texting at this moment? Like something like that. The only problem is the person wasn't texting. 
they were going over their index cards um, to get ready for the presentation that I had assigned. So whew, that was not a, a pretty moment. And I don't know how uh, recently people here have been in the classroom, but that's a public call out. I think we even had a workshop recently. We were not supposed to call out. We're supposed to call in, but that's a story for the day. And now we got to apologize. And, and you know, I, I had to do a public apology quickly. And my language was a little bit with humor. And I said, oops, um, okay. Um, I make a lot of mistakes. This is one of them. And uh, I am so sorry. And uh, I followed up later with a couple of silly jokes, tried to get the relationship back on track. Um, you can imagine a 2022 student, you know, who may be a little sensitive and was just called out in front of the class, um, not ideal behavior there. So I don't have this all figured out. But over the course of days afterwards, I would literally go up to the person, in like a small group, and I'd be like, hey, uh, uh, do you think you'll ever talk to me again? Is that hashtag too soon? And then like her friend would look at me and be like laughing and we'd break the ice. So I think it's that apology and then admitting that you're not perfect. And, you know, Kirk, the, the last part of your question is like, I can't tell you that I like forgive myself totally for that. Not that I ruined a life, but, you know, just stuff like that when we're not at our very best. I, I don't know that I can totally erase moments like that from my career. You just have to kind of build and be better next time. It's not easy. And I think there's a lot of power and humility in that answer, because, I mean, that's, that's half of what I was hoping to hear, because, you know, we can't necessarily forget what we did. In fact, it probably becomes another teachable moment for yourself to be able to know that, hey, there is uh, mistakes that are going to be made on both ends of this equation. And uh, and I think that you handled your own situation as, as best as you can. And in some of my own experiences, be it me being wrong, being the, the, another leader that was wrong, I think it's sometimes really hard for us to say sorry to admit our own faults in a situation, but there there's times where we just got to swallow the sword and realize that, Hey, we did not read that situation. Right. And an example being, I was coaching first base <laughs> in a game recently and uh, a coach turns around to a player that's not on my team, you know, other team and says, will you put your phone away? I can't believe I have to be asking you to do that right now. And, and the player responds back, coach, I'm checking in on my parents, you know, they're, they're going through that stuff that I talked to you about. And he was just like, I'm sorry, I did not know that, you know? And so, you know, he, he apologized. He said, Hey, if you do need to do it, please just walk away from the group and go do that. But, you know, as, as the leaders of a group, sometimes we're in the middle of another process and something that seems distracting to the process enters into our existence and it just gets addressed and uh, and sometimes we're wrong, but I think the best of us will make sure that we swallow a little bit of a humble pill and admit when we're wrong. So I think you, you did just that. And I, I think there's a lot to grow from not always having to be right. There's no doubt. I appreciate that symmetry there, man. It's uh, the apology is not always easy. I, I, I find it. I'm going to whisper this. I find it easier to apologize to my students than I do my wife sometimes. But that's not what this space is about. <laughs> well, that's, that's a good whisper moment for sure. And, uh, what, um, hey, Joe, who are some effective communicators that have inspired you? Well, one of my life philosophies is I can learn anything from anybody at any time. And I wasn't blowing smoke when I said um, your lead up. I, I, for those listening, I, I, I DM'd Kirk saying this is like first class onboarding. Now, I don't know how you guys show up and ladies show up for um, Twitter spaces, but um, Kurt does something that I think is really, really important. He really cares. And the way you can see someone cares is in a lot of different ways, right? It's in the details, whether it's a handwritten note or whether it's a Twitter space where uh, he never once made me feel, you, Kurt, never made me once feel like I was going to be lost tonight. Like I wouldn't know how to log on or like I wouldn't know what it was going to be about. Um, so first and foremost, um, I, I put someone like you who, who's hosting this and taking time and preparing um, on the exact same plane as some of my communication idols, the only difference being experience and scope, right? So you look at someone like Seth Godin, who I've had on my podcast twice. What I love about Seth 
is he can tell a story about canoeing and then the next breath a story about juggling the next breath a story about um, a mason company and they all intersect into his points so i'll i'll look at something like that from from a seth godin um you know i may think of, uh, of an interviewer like uh like a roy firestone who can make will chamberlain cry and i, I admire that deep deep part i think my answer to your question is I want to try to learn what is the very best tool of every communicator that I could put into my to my own game, my own bag of tricks. I, I don't play golf, but I know that when you play golf, the really successful golfers have to have every every club in the bag. Right? You can't. You don't have a a, a pitching wedge uh, effective. You can't. You can't be be great. So those are the names that bubbled up tonight. If you ask me that same question tomorrow, um, I may say I'm really you know loving this person. I mean, this week I showed. Uh, I showed a video to my students about Scott Ginsburg, the name tag guy, because I thought it would speak to a group of um, 15, 18 year olds uh, about how this man committed to wearing a name tag every day of his life. And it seems like a gimmick, but there's a deeper thought there. So those on this given day are the ones that I highlighted by name. But believe me when I tell you, there's people in this room who I could call out by name, who I think are just miles down the road uh, of where I am. In a, in a positive direction for how they communicate and I admire them. I love it. Uh, and uh, I love the honesty and just knowing that where our brain is at that given time also dictates what we're, what we're interested in and what we're looking towards. So I think there's uh, some real power in that. And I know you had uh, given an example through, um, you know, talking about some of our own poor communication, but in your experience as a coach, as an educator and as a leader, you know, how have you seen poor communication damage the trust between players, students, and followers? Severely, uh, <laughs> drastically. I think it's all in the face of like my my favorite quote on communication. You know, one of the things I wanted to share with the group tonight was, you know, it's been said that the number one error of communication is the belief that it has occurred. Uh, I mean, it could be as simple as an email that says, as a reminder, we're doing X, Y, and Z. Kirk, there was no reminder. There was no initial email in that scenario, right? Like calling it a reminder is disingenuous. Um, you knew we had a meeting tonight, Tommy. No, no, I didn't because you didn't communicate that in a way that that I couldn't miss it. So um, I think it can go a million different ways. I'll, I will give a, a nugget for coaches here. I connected today. I saw a video on Twitter. Maybe many of you saw it potentially of a young man uh, hitting line drives in his big, you know, his, in his living room. The kid had to be two years old. He was doing catching motions. He was, um, he looked like a major league catcher. And I texted my former assistant, this kid could have bat fifth for half of our teams. I mean, this is like, this kid was stroking the ball. You'll see that probably later if you didn't see it already. And the reason I bring that story up, besides just the smile that it brought to my face, um, one time, my assistant asked me, do you know how many emails you sent while you were the head coach at the high school for three years? And of course, I don't know the answer to that. I still have a Hotmail account for crying out loud. And he said, 300. I said, excuse me? He said, you sent 300 emails in three years. And he was saying it as a good thing. Some of you may be cringing. And I think, listen, if we're getting technical, Kirk, I think he was counting the replies and the parents jumping in and the fundraising back and forth. But I don't care. In three years, the season's like a minute in the Northeast. If I sent anywhere in the neighborhood of 300 emails, one thing I can't be guilty of is not communicating. And that, and I'll finish with this, that includes everything from what we're wearing the next day to something my good friend Sandro Prosperino once taught me. Tell the parents what offense you're running. Kirk, I told the parents in Westchester County, I just want to let you know, I don't have it all figured out. I make a lot of mistakes, but one of the things we're going to do a lot is steal third base. So I know I coach third base and I know the parent section is right behind me saying this in an email. We are going to get thrown out at third. Sometimes we're going to steal third with two outs that goes against the book. But what people didn't realize is we don't have that many guys that can hit a single against some of the pitching we're facing. So we're going to try to steal a run any way we can. The point being, I'm telling Mr. and Mrs. High School Baseball on my own staff, this is what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. I've done the homework. Not everyone will agree with it. Your Uncle Bob is probably going to call me an idiot. 
but that's how far I took communication in those days. And I think it's probably much needed because I think we're in a time, and I know that was even potentially some years ago, but it's increasing and and everybody's just got to be plugged in because they want to feel that much more connected to what's going on. And, and again, you know, <laughs> to try to beat some of the other emails that might've made you have to, to send if you're getting berated in your email box of saying, why are you stealing third base? Maybe that was a way to save an extra uh, less 300 emails a year for yourself. I wanted to, Sorry, there's no, no, there's no doubt. You're, you're exactly right. A little proactive right there. So I want to turn the page towards, uh, towards the end uh, of our conversation. We've got, you know, four or five more, you know, really uh, important questions that I do want to ask you, but can I bring it a little bit um, to a sensitive subject a little bit? You know, we're living in a time right now with this tire stress in schools and households in, in the world and even in the media and social media the lack of understanding of who to believe and trust. And it's made it harder and harder for kids to trust adults, just even people in general. Have you ever been in such a situation with a player or student? And you know what could you or have you done to build trust in, in these really fragile situations that kids are having outside of your own setting? You know, sometimes trust can be built in a team setting. And sometimes trust can be built in an individual setting. And I think the right time, right? Dan Pink says everything is timing. Some people say timing is everything. Um, but I think, you know, even my good friend Kevin Wilson always talks about, you know, those five-minute conversations are so vital, but when do they happen? And uh, with the digital tools that we have, as long as we're respecting boundaries, um, both privacy and time boundaries, I found that that a simple email, that a uh, a quick message, um, they go a long way. You kind of, um, it's almost like that exponential gain you get when you can personalize a message. Um, so I think one of the tools that has been very effective for me over the years is to um, just connect with someone individually and see them for something other than the subject matter. So if you tell a baseball player that he's, he really enjoyed his clarinet recital, that actually could carry more weight than I love the way that you, you know, knock that run in. And if you tell a, an English student, you know, man, it was really cool what you did for that seventh grader in the hallway. Um, I think that can carry more weight than, than saying, you know, your essay is incredible with the way you use semicolons. Um, but I think a big, big piece is, is like that combo platter of honesty and vulnerability. Um, I had a student today, we, I was dressed up for St. Patrick's Day, I made some fun of myself and I had a um, this is going to be a, a disturbing image for some of you listening, but I had mint green uh, Lululemon joggers on today, folks. You, you got it. And uh, in my public speaking class, I had a senior who uh, said, where did you get those? And I said, <laughs> I said, they were on clearance at Lululemon. And she said, why? And I said, <laughs> I said, I don't know. Like I, I didn't, they were on sale. She goes, no, no why did you buy them? <laughs> I mean, 23 years later, I'm la I think that right there, I think the difference between being able to laugh in that moment versus choosing to be like, to, I don't know, no one in this group would do this, but like we've all met a teacher or coach who in that moment would pull a power play instead of laughing ahead of him or herself. So I actually just loved it. And it made me realize that like those minor moments of uh, what I would call like artificial uh, conflict, they go a long way, right? When you know the boundaries and, and she knew she could tease me there and she knew I would probably laugh at it and she was honest, like you're seeing in that moment, a two-way exchange of honesty, vulnerability. And um, it was just, it was awesome. And, and again, somewhere along the line of this conversation, you asked about that podcast teacher blend and that's, you just saw it, right? Like I, I share that with you. It happened today and the richness that I've gotten through my career is better than I deserve. I mean, stories like that, they don't go away even small as they are. And, well, I, I love that you bring that up and, and you've, you've brought it up uh, more than a few times in this conversation. And I knew I was going to get to asking it, but how important is it in your opinion for those that lead to stay current on things that are relevant to the people that they live <laughs> 
I'm not current enough. I'll be honest with you. You know, I mean, I think you're picking up on the Lululemon brand drop that I just gave you there. That's that's about as current as I get. But I did I did mention the episode that I did this week called the Reverse Mentor, and uh, I'm really proud of that. You know that that teacher I never told her, and she emailed me today and said, "Hey, thanks for the for the name drop on uh, the podcast." Like. I think we, we lose thought of like, I did this podcast. I just wanted to thank her publicly. And she really, it meant a lot to her. But what she doesn't realize is like the unit we're doing next in my English class, it, she designed it. Like she's not my co-teacher. We're not in the same uh, grade level. And she, I trust, like you want to talk about trust? I trusted her knowing she's superior in a lot of ways to me. And it's her second year. It doesn't happen overnight that everyone's comfortable enough to do that, right? I know plenty of people that would never in a million years ask a second year teacher to teach a 23 year old teacher. But I know the people in this room, I know the people listening to this podcast, they don't feel that way. They know that we can learn anything from anybody. And um, someone once said, you know, age is irrelevant. And, and I get exactly what they mean, but actually it's not irrelevant in my view. It's really relevant when you want to learn a specific thing. So Kirk, you asked me about staying current. This co-teacher isn't going to learn about current things from me. I'm going to learn it from her. And it's been in a micro level life-changing. And I love that. And, and, and I, I love to hear you say that, you know, Lululemon might be the only thing that you're, you're current on, but even at that, even if we don't fully know the intricate details of what these kids are really into sometimes just even that little name drop towards uh, I heard it you know or making fun of yourself in an aspect of that that small disconnect can actually be a connection where where we know hey I get it you like this I might not know anything about it but there's plenty of things that I like that you know nothing about but hey we're still on the same team here and uh, I'm gonna lo- I'm gonna love you either way type of thing. So I think it's great for you to 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 make fun of yourself, like you said, and and bring yourself to a more even approachable level when you when you go down that road. Amen. And tomorrow it reminded me, Kirk. I gotta I gotta politely push back on one of my students. He recommended a Kendrick Lamar album to me, and I love hip hop, and I understand Kendrick's supposed to be the goat. And I just did not speak to me. So now I'll double down on that relationship tomorrow. And I'll say, I'll make up a name. I'll say, you know, Timmy, I don't, that wasn't for me. I mean, have you met, you know, have you, have you experienced nice and smooth? Do you know anything about Cypress Hill? Because that was not for me. Exactly. Exactly. You got your, you got your own standards of having listened to hip hop that much longer that you believe you know what touches you and hey some of these things that are happening today are aren't just going to be with us but joe what have you seen as a common denominator that coaches miss in the communication process to their players i think um i think there's a you know we're, we're all striving for that word that authenticity word but we struggle to figure out what it means right i mean I know that when I started coaching, uh, a lot of my fingerprints were trying not to do what I thought some of the weaker coaches I had or different style coaches had. So I thought that led to my authenticity, trying to be in opposition um, and then figuring out like how you want your players to feel um, is huge. That Maya Angelou quote doesn't, doesn't get weaker over the years. It only gets more potent. Um, and maybe that's the answer. You know, I could go around and around, but maybe that's the answer. It's the it's the complete miss of Maya Angelou saying, it, you know, they won't remember what you taught them. They'll remember how you made them feel. It sounds trite now because you hear it so much on social media, but I think its potency has only gotten stronger. I think that that is it at the end of the day. So you asked me a question. I wish I was more concise. You say, what is it that coaches miss? I, I should have said, and I'm saying it now, we still think. The coach has to deliver the best practice plan ever. What we forget sometimes, the lesson plan is not as important as how the kid will feel. The story I remembered earlier when I yelled at the student for not texting, but she wasn't texting, that, doesn't, I, that was a damn good lesson plan that day. Did she remember that? Did she go home saying, man, he had a great anticipatory set and great closure? No shot. So that's what coaches miss. And I'm guilty of it. I raise my right hand and I say, 
I'm guilty of it. I sometimes say, do you know how much I know about the bunt offense? And guess what? Nobody cares if I can't be human and, and kind of get across to people how they, they want them to feel. Right on, right on. And I think that goes down to a lot of the roots of, of building that trust is, and even building that effective communication is making these kids know that deep down we care about them. And once they know we care about them, they'll take our communication, they'll take our trust and we'll build our relationship. And one of the, my favorite things about a lot of this stuff is kind of being reminded that what we teach others will learn, but what they learn, they'll teach to others. Mm, mm, preach. I mean, you know what you just reminded me of? We can tell our players, we can tell our students, we can tell our community members, we care about them. But just like the great writing tip, show, don't tell. Uh, I can imagine times where I've shown my players that I care about them by my words and by my actions. And that goes a long way further than me standing up in front of the bus and going, I care about you guys. Don't you understand that? You know, the late Augie Garrido style, you know, uh, you know, he, he, he had some beautiful moments. He had some moments where he was telling them how much he loved the game. Well, we've all been guilty of that. But I think showing them like he did so often and like we do so often is, is much, much more powerful. Awesome. Joe, I got, uh, I got one more question for you, and then uh, we'll, we'll get you on out of here again. I'm really appreciative of your time tonight. But the youth are exposed to this is more and more and younger and younger ages. Are these kids, in your experience as a high school teacher, ready earlier for preparing them for the real world? What are we not communicating well enough that we should improve upon? Something I do in my classroom when I think about this real world uh, conundrum, and I think it quite frankly earns me some points with them, is I acknowledge that we're currently in the real world. I say to my students, this is the real world. You have big and small problems every day. So you'll never hear me say to my students, when you get out into the real world, um, things will be different. What I will say is, you know, the world outside of room 207. The analogy I sometimes draw for my students, and I think it applies big time on the sports fields, is we often think that the classroom is the game, right? When in actuality, the classroom is the practice. The game is outside of room 207. So, you know, if you think of a scrimmage, I used to love scrimmages because they had the heightened form of the, the competition and practice, but there were no quote unquote consequences. I mean, granted coach was lying to you and saying it didn't count on your playing time. And then if you struck out once you went to the nine hole, but in theory, there really wasn't anything formal at stake. Well, that, that's the thing in a classroom. A classroom is supposed to be a laboratory, a place of experiments, a place where risk is uh, not only allowed, but encouraged failure warranted and wanted. And then when they get outside of 207, the stakes are a little higher, you know, to kind of come full circle. If you can't have difficult conversations in room 207, what chance do you have at the diner or the bar or the banquet? You just don't have it. So I have to give my kids a service of being able to facilitate those conversations that matter so much to them in the classroom so that they can have them outside the classroom. Real life, real life stuff. Then really helping these kids with that transition. And, and I think that that's powerful. I wanted to um, take us towards out with an actionable request. And then I'm going to respectfully borrow something I love from you, Joe, and I want to make sure to give you the last word. But let, let's build on communication this week. Let's take some personal notes this week on relationships that you have, that one side of the relationship is just not being as effective as possible. What can you do to improve on your end? What do you wish that might happen on the other end that can help bring the relationship together towards its best result for all involved? And if it feels right and you have that chance, try to speak with that person about what you would enjoy seeing improve for the both of you. And uh, with that, Joe, please uh, you know, take us out on the last word. I mean, this is, this is an incredible Twitter space. I mean, if this is what's promised out there in Twitter spaces, uh, I need to be involved more often or Maybe it's just the people in this room and you, Kirk. And so I just would be remiss if I didn't mention that. I'm going to leave people with, uh, I don't know why I mention them so much, but Seth Godin's words on, on how to define a difficult conversation. I've had some personal conversations this week with high school friends 
Um, and I and I've basically tried to extend them this, and I'll extend it to you. One of the simplest definitions that I've ever heard on difficult conversations is when you want more than one thing at the same time. Right? You you all everyone here tonight has something that they would love to communicate tomorrow, just as you asked us to. But yet we want to save face. We want to communicate, you know, to the people in our group that are talking while the moderator's talking. Um, you know, I'm thinking of a workshop based on real events in my life. But we also want to keep our colleagues thinking that we're not jerks. We want to um, add discipline to our child's life, but we want them to like us. Um, the examples go on and on and on. But I think this week, if we could figure out how to navigate those difficult conversations, um, and we certainly could do an entire space on that, I think we'll be doing ourselves a, a huge service. And I hope you could hear in my voice tonight that this was an absolute joy. And, you know, it's one of those times flew by and uh, I would I would love to share another conversation with so many of you. Joe, uh, I'm too grateful for your time today and and breathing some knowledge and just some power in, into a, a lot of our hearts and minds tonight and uh, anybody else they'll get a chance to to hear this conversation thank you to everybody that's made themselves available for this conversation tonight if you missed any portion of it feel free to catch it on the recording uh, that'll be posted on uh, on uh, pursuit for purpose under apple Podcasts or spotify either, either way or the recording that pops up through twitter spaces guys I'm, I'm too appreciative of everybody that keeps pouring into this community and this is all for for you guys to continue finding the best versions of yourself. So thank you for tonight and I look forward to chatting with all of you guys next week. Take care.